Good morning. Um, do you love a bargain? Now, is there anyone here? This I know there's at least one. Um, are you the kind of person who, even if you're in John Lewis, you try and haggle the price down if you can find a small mark on the jumper that you're wanting to buy? Is that you, I wonder? Uh, are you always looking for a discount or a voucher code or a, a good sale price or a special offer? And do you experience that sense of deep satisfaction when you feel that you've got a really good deal? Um, if that is you, and even if it's not, uh, by way of introduction, I want to, to suggest to us that nothing beats the deal that God offers us in Isaiah chapter 55. Um, Claire's just been quoting from it, and we're going to be turning to it in just a moment. Where the Lord says, come and buy wine, come and buy milk. What's the deal? It's free, without money and without cost. The offer that the Lord holds out to his people is one of satisfaction for the thirsty and for the hungry, and it will cost you nothing. The basis for this great offer, if you know the book of Isaiah, came two chapters previously, back in Isaiah chapter 53, perhaps the most famous chapter in the book of Isaiah. And this is what the Lord had to say through Isaiah there, uh, seven or eight hundred years before the first Good Friday as he speaks of his servant who will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, Isaiah 53, 5. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. How can God say to his people, to people like you and me, come and buy wine, come and buy milk, without money and without costs? Because Jesus has paid the price so that we don't have to. And that is why, as Isaiah reflects on this in chapter 55, there can now be this amazing free offer to the hungry and the thirsty. It's not that there is no cost for this wine and this milk and this bread. It's that it's already been paid. Now, if you don't know the book of Isaiah um, all that well, by the way, and I know sometimes people feel with these big, long books in the Old Testament, you know, they're a little bit daunting to get stuck into. I just want to say, don't worry. We're going to be heading into the last few chapters of Isaiah over the coming few weeks uh, as we get into what we call the summer term, a little bit optimistically at the moment. Um, all I want to say to you is this. Um, keep in mind two things particularly about the book of Isaiah, which will help to, to steer us. What is God sending Isaiah to do? The first one is that it's a book of warning. Um, Isaiah has many warnings for God's people in uh, the 8th century before Christ in Jerusalem, but also warnings for the whole world that the Lord sees all that happens and that he will act. But secondly, the Lord says through Isaiah that I have promises to make, and Isaiah is a book of promises, that out of God's judgment will come hope and life, that the unfaithful people of God will be the Lord's holy nation. And in many ways, the big question that Isaiah poses in lots of different ways through his book is, well, how? How can that be possible? How can God take a, a bunch of Unfaithful people who, if you've read the Old Testament, will know, continually let him down and make them his holy people forever. The heart of Isaiah's answer to that came in chapters 52 and 53, uh, where Isaiah says, looking ahead seven centuries to the coming of Jesus, he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And then these final chapters... And certainly Isaiah 55 help us to see what some of the implications of that are. Um, many famous verses, aren't there, in Isaiah 55? Perhaps verses that we know and um, 
don't necessarily uh, realize where it is that they come from. And there's this theme running through the whole chapter, which is the theme of gifts, God's grace towards his people. And we see it in the invitation that he gives, in the response that he looks for, and in the promises that he makes. Um, So first of all, in those opening verses, the invitation of Isaiah 55. Um, I went for a walk one day. It was when when I lived in Kenya. It was a hot day. And I was with some friends, and it was in a beautiful part of the world. It was a lovely thing to be doing. We we went out for a walk, but it was one of those days where the walk turned out to be quite a lot longer than we imagined it would be when we left. Maybe that you've experienced that kind of thing yourself. That would have been fine, except that we were in the middle of nowhere, and the only food we had between the six or seven of us was one pineapple. And we savoured our bit of pineapple when it came to the time to eat it, once we'd realised it was going to be a while before we got back to have anything else. I think that's probably the nearest I've ever been to feeling really hungry. Um, I don't know about you. Probably true for many of us, isn't it? But uh, we have been, we've been blessed to live in a place where we haven't experienced real deep hunger for ourselves. Maybe like me, you've been unprepared on occasion. Uh, maybe you've been on a diet. Maybe you've fasted. Um, but... We can go to Tesco's or to the co-op or to McDonald's or whatever it is that you would like to do when you need to get food. Um, Isaiah reminds us that people are spiritually hungry and thirsty as well, and that it's a need that cannot be so easily satisfied. And as a people who need to experience the peace and presence of God, we all need to ask the question, well, where can I find spiritual sustenance? Uh, Where can I find that sort of food? Um, The answer we've already seen given in Isaiah back in chapter 3, it's in the God who gives himself to death and suffering in our place. It's in Jesus. And so now he says to us these great words of invitation, come, all you who are thirsty. I want to say that's all of us. Uh, Come to the waters, and to you who have no money, come, buy and eat wine and milk without money and without it's a, it's a beautiful image of, of plenty, isn't it? And of generosity, the generosity of God towards his people. Um, they're words that have cropped up quite a number of times in discussions I've had with different people about our plans um, taking shape just um, over the way for the Hub Community Cafe over in Manor Park. They seem to be verses which capture something about our vision for that community cafe as a place of sustenance and providing both good physical food and drink, but also a way of meeting many of the other needs that the people of our community have. Um, The invitation of verse 1 comes with a bit of a challenge, verse 2, doesn't it? Um, Our tendency is to look for satisfaction elsewhere, um, to seek meaning in material things like wealth or pleasure or popularity, achievements and successes. All of those are good things, by the way, but that's the thing with idols, Uh, An idol, the Bible often talks about idols, is something made by God, um, taken by people, um, and we should be giving thanks for it, but instead we start to worship it and make it everything. And of course we live in a world, don't we, full of people chasing after things, stuff. Isaiah lived in that world too. But none of the things in the world, success, enjoyment, wealth, even things like friends and family, none of them can fulfill our ultimate need. They all let us down in the end. 
And so Isaiah says, why do that? Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? I guess there's a challenge for, for all of those of us who call ourselves Christians as well in how we sometimes look at the church to meet our needs and to satisfy us. And we think, you know, what I need is just a better church, you know, better music, better preaching, a more bigger congregation, whatever it might be. What we really need, all of us, is more of Jesus. It's as simple as that. There is no um, level two spirituality to move on to once we've got to Jesus' spirituality. Uh, we need to know him. As he says in verse three, to listen to him and we will live. Jesus offers us the best that we can have, something which will satisfy more deeply and in a more long-lasting way than all of the other things that we might imagine. So he says, listen, verse 3, give ear and come to me, because what you're looking for is found in the fulfillment of the promises the Lord had given to David many centuries before, of an eternal king to reign on his throne, who will gather a people from all the nations, verses 4 and 5. They'll come, in Isaiah's words here, running to you, running to the Lord, who says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, buy wine and milk without cost. It's all free. That's the invitation. Because of Jesus, it's free. And of course, Jesus himself spoke about what he'd come to do in exactly the same terms. Um, you might well remember the encounter he had with a woman drawing water from a well in John chapter 4 in Samaria. And he said to her, everyone who drinks this water, the water in the well, uh, will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give them, and no, he doesn't say the water I sell them, does he? The water I give them, it's free, without cost. Whoever drinks this water will never thirst, is what Jesus says. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's just a great image, isn't it, of the life of Jesus and his spirit just welling up and overflowing within those who have received from him. So that's the invitation. The invitation Isaiah gives to all of us. Um, if, you, if you've never come to Jesus to receive the best offer you will ever get, he says, come. Come without money and without cost. Or if you're just feeling dry, if you know that you are dry, maybe because you've been tempted to, to seek the waters of satisfaction in other places, Jesus says, come to all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. That's the invitation. Um, secondly, let's think about how we respond, the response in verses 6 to 9. Um, I gather and I, I presume that all the invited guests for King Charles III's coronation have now received their invitations and will have been responding to them in recent weeks. So I can't imagine what they have to go through to, to safely make sure they've got the right people inside Westminster Abbey on the day when it all happens. I don't know if anyone here has received one. Didn't think so. I was going to say congratulations if you did. We've all been invited to something though, haven't we? Um, you've had a party invitation before, whether it was to a wedding or to you know, a birthday party or a retirement or a graduation or whatever it was. And of course, down at the bottom, it's got those four little letters, hasn't it? RSVP. Kind of the same with Jesus' invitation. Now, this is what the Lord says in verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. 
It's a free gift, free invitation, and it requires a response, an RSVP. And that's the gospel, basically, isn't it? Think about some of the things that Jesus said all those centuries later on. The time has come, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Repent and believe the good news. That was kind of Jesus' summary of what the gospel is all about. It's the same message as Isaiah 55, isn't it? Whether we're hearing the words of Jesus or his prophet, there are basically two parts to what they say. The first is that you shouldn't mess around. You should respond now. The time has come, is what Jesus says. That's how he puts it. Seek the Lord while he may be found, is Isaiah's version. If you are one of those people, to go back to the beginning, who like shopping for bargains, uh, you will know well, won't you, that they don't last forever. You've seen the posters. We've, We've all seen them. Hurry while stocks last. Sale must end soon. Well, Jesus' stocks of living water aren't about to run out. But nevertheless, the Lord has set a time to respond, and that time is now. He says, come to the waters. Of course, none of us know how long we will have to respond. That is just the nature of life. So Isaiah says, as Jesus says, don't hesitate. Call on him while he is near. That is a response you need to make today. And then the second part of what both Jesus and Isaiah say is that you need to turn from the things which are not right in your life Uh, and find that the call of Jesus makes a difference to you. Jesus just says, repent. Isaiah is uh, a little bit more wordy. He says, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. In other words, here is living water for you. It is free. It is God's gift. As you receive it, be prepared for your life to be different. Look at the end of verse 7. It's God who freely pardons you. But as has quite often been pointed out, God's grace is completely free, but it's not cheap. And we shouldn't be surprised by this, because look at verses 8 and 9. They remind us that God is not like us. He's utterly different to us. Higher and greater are the words Isaiah uses in his thoughts and his ways. There is something awesome about him. We shouldn't expect that that we come to him and we wouldn't be changed. As the heavens are higher than the earth, is how Isaiah puts it, so are my ways higher than your ways, what the Lord says, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Um, I've said this kind of thing before, but I think for me this is one of the reasons why the character of Aslan in the Narnia series of is just so brilliant. Um, C.S. Lewis, I'm sure many of you know the books, don't worry if you don't, but C.S. Lewis, in that the character of the lion, captures something of the gentle love of Jesus, but he also captures something of his awesomeness and his strangeness, his wildness, if you like, even as he invites the thirsty to come and drink. If you've read the Narnia books, uh, you may know the story of the silver chair, Uh, where one of the main characters, a girl called Jill, finds herself alone in Narnia, and she's desperately thirsty, and she's looking at this cool stream. But between her and the stream lies this huge lion. And she's never met Aslan before. She doesn't know who he is. Are you not thirsty, says the lion. I'm dying of thirst, says Jill. Then drink, said the lion. 
May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? Said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving Jill nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? Said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. Then I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It's a great story, isn't it? You're going to have to go and read it yourself if you want to read the rest of that part and see what happens. But doesn't that just capture some of the themes of Isaiah 55 so well for us? Uh, that sense that the invitation to the thirsty to come and drink, that's what, that's what Jesus is giving us. Um, Jill wanting the lion's gift, but not wanting the lion. There's a bit of a fear there, isn't there? A recognition of who this is. Uh, the temptation that we all face to look for another stream, another source of satisfaction. And then that sense that we are in the hands of someone higher and greater than ourselves, more powerful. The Bible's word for this element of God's character is holy. It's there in verse 5. This is the God who invites us to come in repentance and faith. And yes, he will change us. But finally, Isaiah finishes his chapter with the promises in verses 10 to 13. Um, the first part is the assurance that what he says is dependable. Uh, it is certain. Uh, a reminder that when the rain falls, it does its job. It does not return to the heavens without watering the earth. And it produces a crop, physical bread. And Isaiah says, verse 11, in the same way, the word of God that goes out from his mouth does not return to him empty, but accomplishes what he sent it for. And what does this mean? Well, it should give us uh, confidence, if nothing else, that the good news of Jesus that he speaks will do his work. Uh, we don't need to embellish it, add to it, change it, or decorate it. Just as the rain produces physical bread, God's word will produce a spiritual harvest. Uh, you may not always see a response if you've spoken of Jesus. Maybe you've had a conversation with someone and it's felt like the words are falling on stony ground. Maybe you've led a Bible study or you know, a Sunday school session or an Alpha course or something and you just thought that didn't seem to go anywhere. But the word of God will not return to him empty. He does his work. Sometimes we see the response that it generates. Other times we don't. But that is his promise. And just as we uh, must never think we need to move beyond Jesus to some kind of more advanced Christianity, there is no such thing, neither must we ever start to think that we need to come up with a new message or an improved gospel, something more impressive or relevant uh, or anything like that if we want to see people grow in Christ and know him. He does the work by his word. We have no license to change it. The message is come to the waters, seek the Lord while he may be found. There is no other street. There is no other well. And then finally, there is this great promise of a harvest of grace 
as people come to the Lord from all the nations. We'll get into this a bit more in the weeks to come. But if you look at verses 12 and 13, which point us into the last few chapters of Isaiah, there, are, there is this promise of joy and of peace, which is everlasting. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And as the mountains break forth in song, and the juniper and the myrtle grow. It's a great image of flourishing in life, isn't it? It's for the Lord's renown and his glory, uh, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And as I said, we will see more of that over the coming few weeks. Uh, So uh, as I close, in a moment or two, we're going to sing praises to God once again. Um, This will be a good moment for the band to begin to, to get ready to play for us. Thank you very much over there. Uh, while we do that, we're going to have an opportunity to respond ourselves in prayer. Um, it's such a, a great chapter with wonderful words, isn't it? And maybe there is, there is something in what we have heard this morning, and you're thinking, I need to respond to the Lord in this. So while we sing, uh, Megan and Tom are going to be over in the side chapel over on the right there. Um, if you'd like to be prayed for with them, they would love you to, to head over and just join them for a couple of moments while we sing. Uh, maybe you simply feel thirsty spiritually thirsty and dry, and you you want to say yes to God to accept that invitation. Uh, Maybe you're struck to seek the Lord while he may be found. Uh, Maybe uh, in the light of verse 11, you want to pray for boldness in speaking uh, his word of life. Or maybe there's just something else that you've come to church carrying this morning and you'd love someone to pray with you, and so the opportunity is there for that. Um, and just to say, as we, as we sing, we're not going to take a collection by passing a plate around this morning. I know some people like to give to the church in that way. Uh, there'll be a retiring collection with some bowls at the back as we leave.